Welcome to the second ever Space Buffs podcast. Today we are joined with two very cool people, Bruce and Ace, who all uh, work with Mars and do research. The two hosts are going to be myself and Max. We're going to be talking about all things space, Mars, uh, discovery of life, and it's going to be really fun. So if y'all want to introduce yourselves and give um, what you majored in or are majoring in, and what your job is, that would be fabulous. I guess I'll start. Um, hello, I'm Ace Stratton. Um, I am currently majoring in aerospace engineering with minors in astrophysics and space, like the space minor. Um, I currently work under Bruce, who is here today, doing research for the MAVEN mission. And I'm Bruce Joukowsky. I'm a professor in geological sciences and also in the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics. And I'm the principal investigator for the MAVEN mission, which is currently orbiting Mars. So we are all very interested in space, as you can tell. So we want to talk about Pathway to Space and how influential it is in getting jobs and expanding your network. So if y'all don't know, Pathway to Space is a class taught by our boss, Chris Kaler, and it's taught like a game show, and there's a new guest every uh, lecture, and they're interviewed like it's a game show or a talk show. Um, and Ace actually got her job for Bruce and for Maven from Pathway. Do you want to explain how you did that, Ace? Oh, I'd love to. Um, so I guess this is the story time part. Um, so I was in Pathway my freshman year of college, and one of the special guests was Bruce. And we were talking, the topic was not necessarily Mars, it was life in the universe and basically outside of Earth, like the possibilities of searching for life. And I don't know if this is what helped make a first impression on Bruce, you can answer if it did, but I started... I got a chance to get the microphone during class, which isn't like something you get to do every class. Cause he was like, well, we don't know how to get down to these lakes to see if there's anything there. And I was like, well, what about volcanic tubes? What about this? What about maps? What about all of this? And he was like, well, yes, but money. <laughs> I was like, cool. Anyways, I was just like, I was really inspired. I liked what Bruce was talking about in regards to the Maven mission and I was just like, you know what? I, I like Bruce. I'm kind of, as some might say, vibing with him <laughs> while listening to him talk about life outside the universe. So I was thankfully sitting at the front and I, it's probably the only time that there was a guest that I immediately stood up and like walked up to them after class. And I was talking to him and I was like, Hey, um, I don't know if you guys even have jobs available or if there's an internship available, but can I work for you? And he was like, well, you know, on if there's something available, I'm not too sure. Just shoot me an email with your resume, some stuff about you and anything else you might want to add. And I said, okay, can I get your email? And he told me that if I can't find it, he doesn't want me on the team. <laughs> and I, I was like, okay, well, you know, that's fair. He works for CU. You've got a recognizable name doing an important thing. I, fair. The first thing I did was I, I immediately left. I went into the cafe. I opened up my laptop and furiously typed out an email 
because I just like, I wanted this so badly. <laughs> and I included a resume. I included a um, design document from the, if you guys know, Gateway to Space, which is the satellite building freshman projects class that I was, I was the team lead. So I sent him that. And I just sent this long paragraph about how much I love space and I love Mars and everything I want to do. And he sent me back an email the following morning. He was like, I don't have time to look at this right now. I'll go back to it in a week. And I was like, or no, no, no. He phrased it differently. He was like, there's one problem or something like that. He put something in the tagline that gave me a heart attack, an absolute heart attack. Like, sorry. And then it was like, I can't look at this right now. I'll look at it in a week and shoot you an email. And I was like, okay. He shoots me an email in about a week. Um, he was like, do you want to come in for an interview and talk about stuff? I went in for an interview. He adamantly reminded me for probably the fifth and last time to not call him Dr. Joukowsky or Professor Joukowsky. Um, and we talked about space, what I want to do, whatnot. And he gave me the job right there on the spot. And I was super excited. And I still think the funniest thing was is we... He gave me out like all the Maven onloading stuff, including stickers and like journal publications and everything about Maven. He's like, we'll start in the summer, you know, like finish off your spring semester. We'll start in the summer. And then I called my mom, like I'm elated with joy. I was like, I got the job. I got the thing. And she's like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I got this job. I had no idea what I was doing until like the first day when he told me what I was actually doing. And I think some defining things too in that interview was he was like, do you know how to code? And I was like, yeah. And I, if I don't, I'll teach myself. And he said, well, that's good. And that was good because the first day he informed me, I'd be doing some atmospheric chemistry. Um, chemistry is my weak suit. Atmospheric chemistry was nothing I knew anything about. So yeah, that's, that's how I got the job. Is that how you remember it, Bruce? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I've been, a guest speaker in Chris's class for several years now, uh, once each year, go in and talk about life on Mars, life in the universe. These are things that I know something about, and it's always fun to talk about, especially with a group of uh, students like this who are enthusiastic to begin with. They're in the class because they think it's cool, and therefore it's really fun to go and talk to them. Uh, I don't remember Ace asking those questions during the class. Uh, those things sort of go in one ear and out the other, to be honest. But she came up to me after class, very interested, and asked if there was a possibility for a job. Uh, to me, that is the single most important step that she took, having the initiative to go forward and do it, to ask for it. I don't go out and look to hire undergraduates very often, but if they come to me and are enthusiastic and motivated and capable, I'm happy to hire them. So I looked at her resume after the email exchange she described. I looked at her resume. She seemed very capable. She seemed very mature. And when we met in person, that reinforced uh, uh, that view of her. So I did offer her the job on the spot. I had no idea what I was going to have her do, but uh, we were able to find a, a really interesting project, one that I really wanted to know the answer to, a research task about chemistry in the atmosphere on Mars, and one that I thought she would be able to do. She's been working on that, what now, Ace, about two years? Yeah, we're just 
we decided last minute to throw in some extra calculations. So now I'm working on those and then revising the draft and hopefully it'll be published soon. So she's carried the work through to completion. We've, as she said, we've identified some new calculations to just fill in some of the gaps. And she's writing a paper for publication in the scientific literature. That's not unheard of, but pretty uncommon for an undergraduate to lead a paper like that. But I think she's done an outstanding job. And what I told her is uh, when she is the first person to set foot on Mars to remember where she got her start on MAVEN. I always laugh too, because you say it's like uncommon to be an undergrad. And I remember, so you initially only hired me on for the summer. And I got the really exciting opportunity that summer to go to Ninth Mars with them in Pasadena, California, which is a, how do you want to describe it, Bruce? It happens whenever it needs to happen, like what, every five years or something? It, it's an international conference on Mars that is about every five years. Yeah. And I'm going to guess about seven, 800 people come to yeah. that. And it's all the Mars scientists in the world and a lot of the spacecraft engineers uh, it's really a fun meeting. Bobby Brown was there too. Um, but yeah, I was at Caltech and I I didn't really have a whole lot done yet because I didn't really get to start the bulk of my actual research until the following fall because all summer was mostly just consuming information and trying to understand where we could even go with the project because it was pretty open-ended when he gave it to me. So like refining what the actual goal was. And I had a couple people ask me if I was a graduate student, like where I was doing my graduate studies. And then Bruce said one of his old, uh, one of the girls who used to work for him asked him if I was your new graduate student as well, after I'd asked her some questions. And he stopped me in the hotel that we were all staying at. And he was like, hey, I'm really impressed. Everyone seems really impressed with you. Um, and so-and-so was asking if you were my graduate student and was impressed and would you like to stay on beyond the summer? So that was also like another really exciting part. I was stoked. <laughs> and, and the only correction I'll make to that is uh, those were your words. I would never describe uh, one of my former students as one of the girls who had worked for me. That's fair. I can't remember her name even though I've read like six of her papers now I feel bad but that's definitely fair <laughs> one of his uh past students there we go much better good job good correction thank you. thank you that's amazing I love hearing stories like that just because it reinforces how important it is to just if you want something just ask for it the worst that can happen is they say no uh, yeah like what would have happened? I continued on my degree the same way I was going to before. Like I was, I was going to be bummed for maybe a day and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, there are definitely a lot of opportunities out there if you're willing to take the chance to try and find them. And, and with ACE, my goal was to find a project that would engage her and excite her about research and about Mars and about the science and see if we can get her to switch her emphasis from aerospace engineering over to science. He succeeded. And Max, being a CA in Pathway, knows how important it is and how cool all of the hosts are, or all of the guests, just like Bruce. If you just go up and ask them questions, they're more than happy to answer them and 
everything like that. Yeah. And you talked about Gateway as well. And I assume that had an influence over whether you or not you got the job because you did have a little bit of experience, which is always nice. I think the big thing too, it doesn't even have to be a pathway guest. It could be a professor you like. It could be you just identify a mission you like and you reach out with an email to someone and ask if maybe you can set up a phone call with them. But yeah, there's a, there's a million ways to get involved. They just, no one really lays it out for you. So you kind of have to put in that effort. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't so much effort. <laughs> it's my favorite story that I've heard about Pathway, just because one, I think Mars is cool. So it's really cool that you work for Mars, both of you. Um, so do you guys want to talk a little bit more about like what Maven actually is and what it does and why you're researching Mars? Yeah, Bruce, you're the PI of Maven. That's correct, right? Yeah. Uh, principal investigator, that means the head of the project. And uh, MAVEN is the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Mission. Uh, we shortened that long name to MAVEN to make it pronounceable. Uh, we proposed it originally in order to go and look at the Mars upper atmosphere. For a number of reasons, we thought that that was a clue to understanding the history of the atmosphere and the history of the climate. We thought when we proposed it that uh, a loss of the atmosphere to space was important for changing the climate. Uh, and, and so that by looking at the top of the atmosphere, at the boundary between the atmosphere and space where the sun and the solar wind could interact with it, we would understand something about how the atmosphere can be lost. Uh, in fact, that is how it played out. We've learned a lot about the history of the Mars climate and atmosphere by studying the upper atmosphere. And that tells us about the history of water, the history of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. In essence, it's a way to explore the astrobiology of Mars by looking at the availability and history of water and to understand the geology of Mars because the role of the atmosphere and water have been so important for uh, uh, affecting the surface, for shaping the surface. The way I think of it is we're studying the geological history of Mars by studying the very, very tenuous uppermost part of the geology, and that's the top of the atmosphere. That's really cool because I bet most people think when they're like, oh, let's study geology, they go, rocks, let's dig down, let's see the history, let's see the layers of the rocks, see what they can tell us. And it's really interesting to know that you can study all of that and the history of an entire planet by studying its atmosphere. And it all couples together. The atmosphere is connected to the surface and the subsurface. If we're interested in the history of the rocks, we need to understand what the atmosphere has been doing and vice versa. So with MAVEN, we were exploring the last, one of the last major unexplored components of the Martian system. And that gave us a chance to really bring some things together. I love that. So ACE, what is yes. your specific research in MAVEN and how are you helping with all of this? So I would say the overway, the overarching way that I'm helping with everything, we'll start there, is simply by aiding in our understanding of water processes on Mars, and which then will lead itself to atmospheric escape and history later. 
Um, my individual project is looking how Martian global dust storms can affect the overall water content in the atmosphere. Because unlike Earth, when you think of a dust storm and it feels dry and like it's sucking the air out, um, the dust on Mars has a special property where water can stick to the outside of it. And as the temperature and pressure changes, that water can get released and actually added back into the atmosphere. From there, that water could get pushed upwards and taken away, or it could move towards the polar caps, get deposited, or it might just go back into the ground. These are kind of like the furthering questions um, from my research so far. But yeah, so the, the goal, like the end product, is to try and at least quantify trends of water in regards to dust storms. Very cool. It's also really yeah. cool that not only are you doing really cool research that every person who's going to study Mars cares about, but also that you're leading a research paper on this as an undergrad, which is almost unheard of. I only know you and maybe one other person who's even on a paper, let alone leading it. Thank you. I was going to send Ace to another conference earlier this year in Houston, an annual conference. It got postponed uh, because of COVID, of course. But I remember she sent me a note saying the professor didn't believe that she was going to a conference and would be gone for a week. And would I email him and explain that, yes, in fact, that was correct? Yeah, um, he was like, yeah, I've heard of the MAVEN mission. We talk about the MAVEN mission. And I was like, well, I, I work for the MAVEN mission. I'm doing this thing. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to need some proof. And I was like, honestly, fair. <laughs> I don't know who would come up with that lie, but sure, I can I can provide proof. If it was a lie, it was a very creative lie. <laughs> truly, truly. Yeah, I don't think he'd ever heard that one before. No. But Ace's work fits into the broader picture of understanding the history of water on Mars, even though she's looking at a very narrow set of processes of what happens over a matter of days when a dust storm starts on Mars. The transport of water during a dust storm may be an important part of the seasonal cycle of water, and it's through the seasonal cycle, one year after another after another, that the water moves around, uh, tremendous quantities of water move around and affect the climate. So it's a, a very narrow piece of the puzzle that is gonna be an important component of understanding water as a whole. It's cool because I think everyone who doesn't know much about Mars thinks of Mars as a very dry planet and that we're constantly looking for a lot of water, which you guys are studying and that if Max wants to talk a little bit about the lakes that we found very recently within the past week, um, papers have come out talking about lakes on frozen lakes on Mars. So if y'all want to talk about that. Yeah. So I it was earlier this week, I believe that the paper was published about the uh, three lakes that were found near the South pole. Um, and mm -hmm. I know in your pathway class, you talk a lot about, um, the search for life, uh, not just on Mars, but everywhere. Um, and these lakes are supposed to be really salty, but what kind of um, implications would the presence of these lakes have on the potential for life or the history of life on Mars? Well, you're right that that's where the, the importance comes in. 
and the driver is if there's liquid water, that really opens up the possibility for life, that life as we know it really requires the presence of liquid water. Maybe you can imagine other liquids serving the purpose, but water is ideal, and Mars certainly has a lot of water. The liquid water that was discovered is buried beneath the surface. It was detected using long wavelength radar on the European Mars Express mission. Uh, they detected echoes from a kilometer down, and the nature of the echoes convinced the scientists that it had to be reflecting off a very uh, off a layer of very high radar reflectivity and that water was the best explanation. Uh, it's a bit, well, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, it's hard to imagine using radar data to tell you about something a kilometer below the surface and believe it. And there are people that, who are, that are radar experts who don't like that answer, but there's no other good explanation. So you're sort of stuck with water is the best explanation. The problem is even a kilometer down, temperatures are pretty low. And if you want to have liquid water, it's got to be a very salt-rich water, a brine, in order to keep from freezing. So that's what people think is down there. Could there be life there? Really hard to tell. It's really hard to get at it since it's so deep. And right now we're, we're at the stage of trying to convince ourselves that it really is water and then trying to understand what it could tell us about the possibility of water elsewhere on the planet, how widespread might it be? And this gets at the broader question of, was there ever life on Mars? Could there be life today? But until we can drill down a kilometer, we may never know the answer from these lakes. So it's a very cool discovery, but still a long ways to go before we know anything certain. That's right. We've made a lot of cool discoveries lately, including the Mars. We've also discovered a chemical, what was it, phosphine? Phosphine. Yeah. Um, in the upper atmosphere of Venus, which could also be a signature of life, which is very, very cool. And this has also happened in the past month or so. So the past month has been full of really cool life discovery, possible life discoveries in our, for our closest planets, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, we just discussed that article in this little group we have at work called the Terrestrial Bodies Journal Club, where every two weeks we discuss a journal article. And uh, this last week, of course, we discussed the Venus article. It's really interesting how much the media has blown it up, though, as it being like a pretty good indicator of life, because the at least the paper itself, it lists like a long list of possibilities of what it could be. But it's like um, Bruce said, it's just, it could be, it's hard to explain it with the current functions that we know. And it's also gonna take time for other people to pick that up and who are better experts in say geology or just all these other facets of Venus and look at it and be like, well, you know, is it reasonable that it could be one of these others because the people who originally studied this were atmospheric scientists and not geologists? Uh, so, yeah, it's it's fun. It's interesting. And I think Ace has it exactly right that 
on Earth, phosphine is created by life, and that's one possible explanation. Uh, scientists have been very clever when given possible biosignatures like this in coming up with alternative ways to produce them. And I would say it's premature to conclude that there's life. Let's give people a chance to see what other mechanisms might be there. Uh, personally, I have a hard time accepting the idea of life because even though there's phosphine, it's in the clouds of Venus, which are 50 kilometers above the surface. And all the other elements you need to have in order to support life, things like calcium, magnesium, iron, sulfur, they're 50 kilometers away. And it's hard to figure out how they might get access to them. Not to I think this, this story is, is not yet over. Not one to way or this. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> this story is not yet over one way or another. Yeah, not to mention too, those clouds are made of sulfuric acid. It does straight acid. <laughs> it does seem like, especially anything space related, there could be a list of a hundred possible explanations. But if life is one of them, everyone likes to grab onto that. Yeah, the this I would say the scientists and the researchers don't always grab onto that because it usually ends up being something that they will get berated sure. for later. Definitely the um, public, though. Uh, not to reference the uh, the methane on Mars, but. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's they just like to they just can't find a process that they knew about that could explain it so yeah they but they're willing to be like we don't really think it's this but we can't we can't come up with something else and that's one thing that i read a little bit of the the papers in the journal articles on the venus and they were like we have a bunch of explanations however one of them is possibly life we're not saying it is life, but we're saying maybe, possibly, if we look more, maybe life. And so the New York Times picks it up. Life, right? They found life. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm 100% in favor of exploring this, of uh, making more measurements, of looking at um, existing data that tells us about the chemistry of the atmosphere of trying to look at alternative chemical pathways, but certainly it's a little too early to start revamping our entire space program in order to send a spacecraft there to look for life. I do know there's supposed to be a spacecraft going for, is it review or yeah. where, where they submit it to NASA to see if NASA is going to pick it up or not. There's four and I, proposals right now and a mission to Venus is one of them. And because of that paper, it's more likely it's going to get chosen. Well, not only that, we we're talking about in journal club, how quickly they're going to have to come up with a method to look at this closer or like work it into their, I guess their uh, mission plan, because it wasn't originally a part of their mission plan, but I do believe that the proposal is due soon. Someone mentioned that in the journal club. I don't know that for sure, though. No, that's Fridays. Uh, I was talking with one of the members of, the, of that team the other day, and they're working hard to figure out what their measurements can tell us about possible life or about the chemistry of the atmosphere that would be relevant. So 
thank you guys so much for talking to us, talking about Mars, talking about Venus, talking about research, talking about Pathway, um, everything space, which is what this podcast is supposed to be about. Um, do you guys have any last remarks? We always like to end with like a fun space fact, but we already covered fun space facts, <laughs> space facts about life. So maybe we don't have any more, but if you do, feel free to share and I, sign off. I can share my favorite fun space fact about Mars. Okay. The sunsets are blue. They're not red like on earth. They're blue. And I imagine it's pleasant to look at. What was the movie that just came out that actually got it right and you were very excited about that? Ad Astra. Ad Astra has blue Martian sunsets. Of all the things the Martian got right, it didn't get a blue Martian sunset. But Ad Astra did. And I almost freaked out in the movie theater when I saw that the sunset was blue. But then they said the unidentified exoplanet and then they put a picture of it on the screen and it was just Europa. And I was like, that's not an unidentified exoplanet. That's Europa. But they it just did. too much for one movie to get everything right. So. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it is Hollywood after yeah. all. Well, it has been lovely talking to you guys. Um, you. Just want to say, please follow us on Twitter at, and Instagram at CU Space Buffs. It will keep you up to date on all things about the podcast, any events we're holding. Um and yeah, thank you for listening. And yeah, thank you. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's a game thank conversation. You.